Good evening, everyone. More people than I thought would be here after this morning. So encouraged, I hope you were, because of the amount of people that actually came and pushed through all the obstacles. And uh, here you are again. Who of you were not here this morning? Can you please report afterwards to the front? <laughs> yes, you did. So uh, the evening services, we're making subtle and some blatant changes. Uh, one of the changes we are making that you may have noticed is we change the way that we present the lesson, uh, less of a sermon and more of a devotional. So uh, we have the king of devotions with us, that's Andrew. He sets the standard. And uh, I would just love for him to continue. I have a list of passages that I would love for him to explain to us. But today is my turn. And uh, we're continuing in the book of Colossians, and we look at Colossians chapter 1 from verse 15, verse 15 to 20. A well-known passage you'll hear, if you have not read it, uh, read it recently, you'll hear familiar words in that passage. So we'll read it, and then we're going to uh, just show you the structure of uh, these verses and how we get to the main theme and then we're going to delve into some of the verses, some of the words in the verses that will help us to understand it better and to worship Jesus more effectively. So let's read together Colossians chapter 1 from verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So you may have seen uh, that the, the title for this evening is Devotion to the Supreme Christ. What have we learned so far? Just to, uh, to set the scene of where we are in the book of Colossians, helps us also to understand the context of why Paul is going on to this specific topic now. So, so far in this series, we looked at uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, personal greeting, Paul introduced himself that he, the way that he often does, and then uh, verse 3 to verse 6, we spoke about a hope that helps. Uh, our hope is not in the things of this life, our hope is not in whether we are healthy or wealthy or even wise, our hope is in eternity. We live this life for as long as God gives us in that hope, and that eternal hope also helps us to be effective in this life. If we can keep our eyes focused on the eternal hope, it makes us more effective to live in spite of the difficulties of this life. And then we also spoke about verse 7 and 8, uh, to be a channel of grace. Whenever we interfere with, with God's message, we are not a channel anymore. Then we're something else. We distort the message. We want to be a clear and clean channel of God's grace. We want God to work through us and we don't want to work against God in any way. And then last time, 
that we were in Colossians, we spoke about praying like Paul. There are two main items that Paul prayed for. Paul prayed for the knowledge of God, uh, the true knowledge of God, and that that knowledge will have its effect in our lives, and that is that we live worthwhile lives, and what that means is that we are uh, more and more like Christ. So the knowledge of God makes us more like Christ. We need to ask the question then, uh, am I becoming more like Christ? Do I have the right knowledge? Am I spending my time on the right knowledge? And then for today, uh, who is Jesus and why is he so important is the question that Paul answers for us. The answer, obviously, is Jesus is supreme. It's in the, in the verses. Uh, what does that mean to us then? We Christians must want to worship him. If you ask any Christian about Jesus, they will say something like that. I want to worship Jesus. But often they don't understand what that means. They also don't understand why they must have, or then sometimes, often hopefully, have that desire. Uh, the reason is simply, simple. Well, Jesus is the greatest. He's number one. He's first in all things. If you fight him, you will lose. It's more, much more than that, actually, in this, this passage. That's absolutely true. If you fight Jesus, you will lose. But to illustrate this, whenever something is wrong with our car, doesn't matter which car we have, it can be an old car with you know, no computers in them, so it's a very simple car, easy to maintain. But if we have a car, whichever car we have, and if something wrong with the car, and I want to open in the front to look what I need to do, to see what I need to do, Netty finds a number, a contact of someone else. And that someone knows what he's doing because she knows what will happen. She, she must find someone that will, that will be able to fix it. So if I say to you today that uh, think of any, anything in your life that needs fixing, any problem that you have, it may be anxiety or stress or depression or poverty. We can even go further and say, how about global warming and political unrest and rebellious children and abusive spouses? Any problem that needs fixing. If I say to you, I have the contact for you that can fix all of those, you would want that contact. You'd be very unwise if you don't want that contact. Quality of the service that you receive, as in the mechanic that Nettie would phone, is directly related to the quality of the person and the per personality and that person's competence. So why is Jesus the best person to fix everything? And just basically going through the structure, you'll see that there are two main parts. In verse 15, <coughs> excuse me, 15 to 17, we see that Jesus is supreme. He is the best. He's number one over creation. And then the second part is Jesus is supreme over the church. So if you look at the first part, the substructure in that first part, Jesus is supreme over the creation. Why is Jesus supreme over creation? Because firstly, verse 16, he is the creator, right? If you make something, you manage that, something that you make. Secondly, because he is the highest priority in creation and for creation, verse 17, the first part. And then the second part of verse 17, we find the third sub-reason for the question, why is Jesus supreme over creation? It's because he is the sustainer of creation as well. We're going to go through more detail in a moment. But the second main part of the structure 
we find in verse 18 to 20, Jesus is supreme over the church. And we'll talk about why it is important for us to understand that and live by it. Why is Jesus supreme over the church? Verse 18, the second part of verse 18, because of his resurrection. Verse 19, because of his deity. And verse 20, because of his saving work, because of the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ alone. But before we, dwell, before we delve into the detail, I had the Afrikaans word in my mind there. Before we delve into the detail, just, uh, just some background to the letter. Written in uh, somewhere between 60 to 62 AD, uh, where was Paul? He was in uh, Rome, in prison, in Rome. Uh, the city that he writes to, the church that he writes to in Colossae, was uh, a city in Phrygia, uh, in the Roman province of Asia. It's part of the modern-day Turkey, if you want to find it on the map. It's about 160 kilometers east of Ephesus, in the region of the seven churches that we find in Revelation 1 to 3. And because of where it was located, and because of the transport infrastructure of that time, in, during the early Roman reign, uh, it was a, a very successful city, a thriving city. That was in the 5th century before Christ, when the Persian king Xerxes, remember him? We read about him in Esther 1, when, uh, when he marched through that region. He found this thriving city of Colossae. Uh, they, they traded in wool, and they had a specific way of dyeing the wool black. And uh, that, that caused the city to, uh, to flourish. Also, in addition to that, the city was situated at the junction of the main north and south and east and west trade routes. So the takeaway shops and the, uh, the motels did very well in that city in that time. But by the time that Paul arrived on the scene, uh, the main road had been rerouted through nearby Laodicea. Uh, and that caused the, uh, the bypass to, uh, to let the, the trade dwindle in Colossae. So trade declined, and uh, the rise of the neighboring cities then caused uh, poverty and all sorts of other problems to be relevant and present in that city. So by, by the time that Paul wrote this letter, that was the situation, not a thriving city anymore. What is, uh, what is the most difficult and dangerous job that you can think of? Anyone? What? What? Yeah. Give me a, give me a real, real dangerous job. Underwater welding. Yes. Another one? Okay, I've got firefighter here, all right? So let's stick with that. Those are good ones. I'll, I'll, I'll put them in next time. But here's what a firefighter does. It, 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 it's, a, it's a wonderful job. It's a noble job. But you, you must be slightly mental if you want to do that job. Or you must be called to do that job. But a firefighter are rescuers extensively trained in firefighting, obviously. But their primary task is to extinguish hazardous fires that threaten property and people or in, in the natural population, in addition to rescue people from dangerous situations. So, there's someone in a dangerous situation, they willfully, knowingly, after being trained, will go into that dangerous situation to bring someone out. That's what they do. 
They jump in trying to save children, adults, and property without a thought of protecting themselves. And then apart from that, because of things burning, their bodies can be, become a host of chemicals and dust and debris and smoke leading to dangerous diseases on a long-term basis. There's a, there's a more difficult job description than any of the ones that you've mentioned. Here's the job description. Make and sustain everything and then pay for everything to work perfectly. That's the job description that belongs to Jesus. That's what he does. So if we then go to just delving a bit deeper into the, the verses, remember the two parts? Uh, firstly, Jesus is supreme over creation, and Jesus is supreme over the church. Keep in mind his job description. Make everything, and then pay for everything to work perfectly. So first scan, just quickly, general interpretation. We find verse 15, the start of a declaration of praise to Christ. Uh, who is the he in verse 15? Obviously, that is Jesus. It is the son that is referred to in verse 13. Uh, the declaration contains the two important facts about Jesus, the Son. Firstly, Jesus is supreme over creation. Colossians 1 verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So the first major declaration in verse 15 is about Jesus' rank over the created order, that he is the firstborn. So three supporting statements that we find then in verse 16 to 17 to that proclamation, that declaration. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He's the image of the invisible God. So we find, uh, verse, firstly, in verse 16, everything was created through him and for him. Uh, look at verse 16 again. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. First piece of evidence. Second piece of evidence in verse 17, the first part, he is supreme in time and priority. And he is before all things, important words, and in him all things hold together. And then thirdly, he is the sustainer that we find in that last part of the verse. All things hold together in him. So if you want to sum up that part of the structure, you can say Jesus made it all and Jesus paid it all. And then the second part, running through it as our first scan, uh, Jesus is supreme over the church. Verse 18 contains the second major declaration that Jesus is the head of the church. We find that in verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. There you've got it. That settles that argument. But then we also have a number of pieces of evidence that helps us understand what that is. In verse 18b to verse 20, gives the supporting statements for that Proclamation. And the first part is, it is his resurrection. Colossians 1 verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And then secondly is his deity, verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And then thirdly was his saving work. In Colossians 1 verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All right, so here we go. Back to verse 15, we're going through a second scan with some more detail that will help us to, uh, to worship Jesus better because of his supremacy. 
to be more devoted to his supremacy. So then if we go to verse 15, uh, it presents what may seem like a contradiction, but in fact is not a contradiction. Just look at it. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And that phrase firstborn has caused trouble for many people. Many false religions have built a whole doctrinal system on the wrong interpretation of that. So firstly it says, he is the image. We find a well-known word uh, that we use in computer language, in computer terms, icon. He is the icon of God. Jesus is more than mere man. He is the visible expression of what the God who cannot be seen is like. We have in Jesus the, the character, exactly who God is, and how God conducts himself. Exactly. It's a, a, a very specific and exact implementation of God's character in Jesus Christ. It's a statement about the divine nature of Jesus. Then with the second statement that looks like it seems to be a contradiction, Paul supports that divine nature with what seems to be that human nature statement, being called the firstborn by no means, that term by no means limit or discredit the deity of Jesus. He's perfectly and completely God, and he's the image of God that we can see and have evidence of. The word firstborn, by the way, is used 132 times in the Greek version of the Old Testament. And the firstborn, the word that is translated firstborn, often refers to a person of superior rank. If you ask our oldest son, he will agree with that. Of the children, he has the superior rank, and he acts like that as well. Didn't work in our family. I was in the middle. You can make your own assumptions about the older brothers. Superior rank, uh, as in the superior rank that we often see in the Bible, with the firstborns being, often being the only heir to whatever the family owns. It is also used of the Messiah in Psalm 89 verse 27. It reads as follows. And I will make him, that is the Messiah, the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So Jesus, who is the exact expression of God's very person and nature, is at the same time supreme in rank. Not only supreme in being, but also supreme in rank, as far as creation is concerned. So the word of, like in of, uh, let me just find the verse. Uh, he is the image of the invisible God. That word is uh, not to be mistaken as a, a description of Jesus as part of the creation. And that's where often the misunderstanding happens. The of is rightly translated in versions like the New King James that uh, translated as over. Jesus is the firstborn over the creation order. If you're a managing director of a company, uh, you, you, you'll understand that. You are part of the company. You are in the company. But you are also, if you say, I am the director of the company, there's also an understanding that you have authority over the company. And that's what that of means in the context of verse 15. Verse 16 then 
describes the first reason for the rank of Jesus over or above creation. The creative agency of the Son, all things were created by and through Him. He has supreme, or He, he is supreme in rank over creation because He is the agent of creation. He's the one who created. Look at that verse, chapter 1, verse 16. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. So not only did He create the agent of creation, but He was also the purpose for that creation. Verse 16 also describes the purpose of the created order. All things were also created for Him. And that for has a sense of direction in the original Greek. So we can say, if we, if we want to trans, translate it a little bit to, to help us understand the, the forward movement of the for him, we can say all things were created to move towards Jesus. And you'll understand that if you remember what will happen at the end of time. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. So the whole of creation will move towards Jesus to that that incident in the future where everything will culminate in his expression, finally, of his rule and supremacy over all things. So wonderful to see it in little detail that Paul puts into the language. It's a four with direction, moving forward, moving towards. So as creator, he is the chief end for which everything exists, and he's the goal toward which everything is moving. So how are you doing with your movement? Are you moving closer to, to Jesus Christ? Recognizing that He created you? You know how we often show that we are not? Is when we look in the mirror or we wake up in the morning and we are not happy with what we see or feel. That's not moving closer to Jesus. He's the creator. He created you exactly the way you are. Yes, we are affected by the sin-cursed world, and uh, it can be difficult. And as you get older and older, it becomes more and more difficult. But if you move closer and closer to Jesus, those difficulties become almost irrelevant. It is just another good thing that God is doing in order for you to move closer to Jesus in His created work. Didn't make a mistake when He made you with a big nose like I got. Didn't, didn't make a mistake when he made me with all the valves that don't work. I have at least three valves that don't work well. So verse 17, the first part, describes the second reason for Jesus' superior rank. He's supremacy in time and priority. Priority. He is before all things. Colossians 1 verse 17 says, and he is before all things. And this could refer to the Son's existence before all things. In other words, his eternal existence, or can also refer to his priority in rank. He's before all things. So as, as a commander would stand before the whole army, standing before them. As far as Jesus is concerned, both are true. Jesus retains supreme rank because he existed before all things, and he also exists before all things in priority. There's no one more important above creation, in creation, because of creation, than Jesus Christ. 
Why do we find it so difficult to live a life that shows that? We, we so easily fall back to, but, but you know, my time is important. But, but, but you know, my, my retirement is important. But, but you know, my joy is important. But you know, my rights are important. When we do that, we limit in our own minds the importance of Jesus Christ. And verse 17b then describes the third reason for Jesus' superior rank, and that is that he is, he is a sustainer of creation. Uh, verse 17, the second part of Colossians 1, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I don't know if you've ever tried to work that out in your mind, if you ever tried to, to just understand that, hold all things together. I try and, I try and, Im and imagine that uh, while Jesus was in his mother's womb, he was still making sure that Mars goes along its way, that you know, everyone on earth stay with their feet on the ground, that you know, when it rains, they don't drown, just made sure everything is in place, made sure that the viruses and the little hohakis and all that, they do what they must do, I don't understand that, but it's wonderful to accept it and to know it. So not only is the Son the agent of creation, He is also the sustainer of everything that He created. He sustained Judas Iscariot. He sustained the Roman soldiers that took Him to the cross. He sustains you and me. All things find coherence and consistency in Jesus. And the first part of verse 18 gives the second major heading of this paragraph that we're busy with. He is the head of the body, the church. So not only is he supreme in creation, but he's also, in this paragraph, supreme over the church. He is the head of the church. He is the Lord of the church. And so in addition to his rank as supreme over creation, Jesus also ranks as supreme over the church. You'll say, duh, well, you know that. Well, there are a couple of details in this, uh, these verses that may encourage you and surprise you. Verse 18b to verse 20 gives us three supporting statements there are reasons for Jesus to be Lord over the church. The first we find in the second part of verse 18. It states that he is the firstborn. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So simply put, Jesus is qualified to be the head of the church because he rose from the dead. Anyone else done that? If you've, if you've had that if you, if you were able to rise from, you may be able to claim that from Jesus. No one will do that. Only Jesus. And then beginning and firstborn should be read here to mean that Jesus is the first of many to be raised from the dead. So the resurrection of Jesus is the dawn of new creation. The benefits of the age to come break into the midst of this present evil age 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm just trying to imagine how the demons got scared at that moment. And how Satan got confused at that moment. Because it was a new age of light that broke into the present evil age and started an organism called the body of Christ. And if you belong to Jesus Christ, then you are part of that body. And if you realize, as we should, that He is preeminent, He is supreme over the church, it is Him that we serve, then we as a church will be much more effective. And the second reason for Jesus' headship, lordship over the church is given in verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And this statement is directed against a, a Gnostic heresy that claims that many deities make up the fullness of deity. Uh, many deities, so um, you, you uh, don't have to belong to a religion to uh, fall prey to that wrong thinking. We can also be guilty of that. If, for example, we say, well, you know, Jesus is my Lord, and I worship Him only, and I serve Him only, and uh, if, uh, if I start stressing about uh, not enough money at the end of the month, who is my God then? My bank account. If I drive along in Nando Road, and I get a flat tire in the middle of the night, and I'm fearful, and I, and I, and I jump out, and the first thing I try and do is to get hold of the insurance company to send help, then at that moment, who is my other God? The insurance company, or whoever the person is that can come and help me. So you may think I'm being a little bit too pedantic in this, but I hope you, you, you realize what I'm saying. So we can easily look at the Hindus and say, but they've got that last count, I don't know how many thousands of gods, so they're definitely guilty of this, but careful that we are not also guilty of this. And in this, we should be reminded of our desire to move closer to Jesus so that we are not concerned about anything in our lives, trusting Him completely and uh, being wise as we can in order not to, uh, to land into trouble unnecessarily. It also claims, this, this statement claims that Jesus is the only person ever to live on earth in whom the fullness of God dwelled. So Paul states clearly that the fullness of God's very being dwells in Jesus. And this qualifies Jesus uniquely to be the only head of the church. So we've got two so far. Why is Jesus the only head of the church? Well, he rose from the dead. Second reason is fullness of God dwells in him. Nothing that Jesus lacked as far as the character of God is concerned. Third reason for Jesus to be the Lord of the church, we find in verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Jesus reconciles all things through his salvation work on the cross. The hostility between God and man caused by humanity's rebellion ceases because of the work of Jesus that makes peace between man and God. The cross of Jesus 
puts to an end the world's false perceptions and serves as the demarcation line between those who will be reconciled to God in judgment and those who will be reconciled to God in salvation. You're one of two. As you sit here today, you are either on the one side of that demarcation line or on the other. You will either be reconciled to God, and by that I mean that you will meet God and recognize who He is. You will be face-to-face with God. On the one hand, it will be in your judgment, or on the other hand, it will be in your saved state. The one sends you into God's glory. The other sends you into God's punishment, everlasting hell. And Jesus is qualified to be the Lord of the church because the church is the community of the redeemed people that Jesus has reconciled through the cross. Right, we've stepped through the verses three times. You can go and do it another 20 times and you'll find that you're still learning things. So let's conclude and do some applications. Very simply put, Jesus is supreme. You not. Jesus has the right to demand and expect obedience. You don't. Jesus offered himself as a perfect sacrifice. You can't. And you don't have to. Are you aware of the supremacy of Jesus over you as a created part of the church? If you are not a part of the church, then your only future reconciliation with God will be with the judge, Jesus. You cannot have Jesus without the church. You can't have the church without Jesus. Ask this in your decisions about everyday life. How will this decision, thought, word, act, how will this benefit the church? More than that, ask this. How will this thought, act, word, decision, how will this glorify and please the supreme Christ? Here's your job description. Do what Jesus says. Let's pray. Father, as we think about Jesus, we know that Uh, In this life, we will never be able to come even close to where uh, He is as the fullness of God dwells in Him. But we can bow again, thankful for who Jesus is, for the perfect character that He displayed so clearly while He uh, lived and moved here on earth. We are thankful that we have a record of that that we can fall back on, that we can use as a reference and as a conviction and as an encouragement. We are thankful that it is not completely and only up to us to become more like Christ, but that uh, our God, by the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, is at work in us. Father, so I pray that we will again think about how we make decisions and that we will keep in mind our responsibility as representatives of the Supreme Christ here on earth, and that our actions and our words and our thoughts uh, will be those who are closer 
to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Make us faithful representatives of the body of Christ, we pray. Amen.